What do Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby, and if I go a little bit further back, Mel Gibson and Tiger Woods all have in common? I probably don't even need to say it, right? Uh, these are all people who who were at the height of their fame when they had a colossal fall from grace. Now, whenever you think of those names, you, you likely will always have, no matter what they do, that negative feeling associated with it. Well, what do you think of when you hear the name Samson? If you're familiar with the Bible, you think of haircuts, don't you? You think of the guy whose girlfriend took a little too much off the sides and he lost his incredible strength. But the Bible actually spills more ink on Samson than any of the other judges. But maybe we need to, we need to back up a little bit. Um, what are judges in the first place, right? Well, when God saved his people from Egypt and brought them out into the promised land, they didn't have a king right away. God was supposed to be their king, but they didn't always listen to him. Um, and that time we call the period of the judges. Um, the judges itself, the book, describes the period this way. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. In other words, it was absolute chaos. God was supposed to be their king, but they didn't listen to him. And so every once in a while, God would allow foreign nations to come and oppress his people. And then they'd cry out for help and God would provide a deliverer or a judge to save them and then rule them for a time. Well, so then, why was there a need for a Samson? For like the 12th time in the book, this is what the Bible records about that time. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. And then the writer immediately goes on to tell how God provided Samson um, to save them. Maybe you thought after 11 times, Israel would get the message, right? Uh, same song, 12th verse, here we go again. I suppose we don't always get the point either, so we shouldn't necessarily be critical of them. In fact, if you look at the pattern in the book of Judges, there's a cycle that happens again and again and again. And this is kind of how it goes. So Israel has rest from all her enemies. And, and what happens when everything's good in life? Well, God often gets pushed to the background. And that happened with Israel. And they started to worship foreign gods. They would fall into apostasy. And then... God would want his people back. And so out of love, he would actually allow foreign nations to come and oppress his people and wreak havoc on them for a while. And then they'd cry out for help and God would provide this judge, this deliverer to save them. And then the land would have rest for a while and then the cycle would start all over again. If you read the book of Judges, you get used to the cycle. But if you read really carefully, this time something is missing in the cycle. The people of Israel never cried out to God for help. They had become so used to bondage that they didn't have the good sense to cry out to God for help. But God delivered them anyway. That's grace. That's grace greater than all our sin, than all our density, than all our stupidity. Marvel at this God. This is our gray shush God, S-H-U-S-H. For if God only saved us, only gave his help when we asked for it, only when we prayed for it, only when we had the good sense to seek it, what spiritual orphans and paupers we'd be. But our God is gray shush. Before we could plead for it or repent, God sent a deliverer in Jesus to deliver us from our great enemy of sin. In fact, the Bible says that God appointed Jesus for this task before the creation of the world. Before we could even whisper his name, Jesus lived a perfect life for you and died an innocent death for you to save you, to be your deliverer. 
Rejoice in your grace, shush God, today. This week we're talking about Samson. So yesterday we heard how the Israelites, again, did evil in the eyes of the Lord and God delivered them into the hands of the Philistines to wreak havoc on them for a while. Um, and even though they didn't think to cry out to God for help, he began to deliver them anyway. So then we're introduced in the account of Samson to a guy named Manoah and his wife. And Manoah and his wife, they couldn't have kids, they were sterile. Now that was about to change, but God oftentimes wants to prove to us that he is the one who gets credit for the accomplishment. Um, I, I think of, because we like to sometimes take credit, I, I, I think of um, the, the story of the Betty Crocker cake mix, how when that originally came out, it was just add water, but that made homemakers just furious because they felt like they weren't contributing anything. And so that's why even still today, you need to add eggs too. Well, sometimes God likes to take that out of the equation for us um, so that we know that he gets all the glory. So anyway, God appeared to Manoah, um, actually he appeared to Manoah's wife first in the form of an angel. A and he told Manoah's wife that they were going to have a, a child and the child was going to be named Samson and the child was going to be a Nazarite. Uh, so the Nazarite, th three things um, needed to happen for them, the, the three rules that they had to follow. They were set apart for God's purpose and they could drink no wine, they couldn't touch anything that had died, um, and and they couldn't cut their hair. Um, so Samson was going to be set apart to save the people of Israel from the Philistines. And so Manoah's wife was excited and she ran to tell her husband and, and the husband got to praying right away and Manoah said, um, Lord, can you send that angel back down here because I need help in how to raise this child. And so graciously, God hears him and he comes back in the form of the angel and he repeats that they're going to have this child and he repeats the Nazarite, um, you know, that he was going to be set apart as a Nazarite. And Manoah didn't know it was God, and so he wanted to show his appreciation. And he said, I, I want to make you a meal. I want to make you a young goat. And the angel said, well, if you offer it to the Lord, I'll stay. And so Manoah prepared the burnt offering, and, and he had the fire going on a rock, and he, he, he consumed the, the young goat in the fire. And as the fire was consuming the goat, the angel of the Lord ascended into the flames. And Manoah flipped out. He said, we're, we're going to die. We saw God. And we may look at that reaction of Manoah and say, Oh, Manoah, don't you know God is love? Why are you so afraid? And, and that is absolutely true. That God is love, but he's also absolutely holy. And Manoah knew that and he got it. Now, Manoah's wife graciously um, told him some common sense advice. She said, you know, Manoah, if God had wanted us dead, uh, he probably wouldn't have said that we were going to have a, a, a child. True enough. And so God blessed Manoah and his wife with Samson and the, the, the story says that he, he grew in, in, in the Lord and, and, and God blessed him throughout his life. But here's what I want to point out about this part of the story. Samson is the only nativity account in the entire book of Judges. Why is that? I, I think this is the coolest thing. God didn't just take a deliverer who was readily available. He grew one up from scratch. It's what makes us marvel at the nativity story of our Savior Jesus. Just as God grew Samson up to be the deliverer, the exact one that Israel needed, so God grew Jesus up, actually marked him out before the creation of the world. And he grew him up from scratch to live that perfect life we needed and to die that innocent death that we needed to save us from our sin 
and from death. Welcome back. We're talking about Samson this week. And even though, so Samson eventually grew up, and even though he was supposed to be this supernaturally strong hero, we see in the first account of his adult life that he is willful, he's undisciplined, he is spoiled, he's insubordinate, and he's just plain wrong. Uh, he goes down to the Philistine territory, and he finds this girl that he really likes, and it's love at first sight. Really, it's lust at first sight. And he goes back to his parents, and he says, get her for me as a wife. Barking out orders at your parents is often a sign of a child too often indulged. But then again, I suppose if you were Samson's parents, would you have disciplined him? You know, supernatural strength. Anyway, um, no, but his father objects and he says, Samson, can't you find a wife from our own people? Because Manoah knew that God had forbidden intermarrying with the Philistines, but Samson said, no, she's the one. And so Samson took his mom and dad down to the Philistine town to meet his new wife. And obviously, the tensions were high because it doesn't appear that they were together on this trip or walking together. And as Samson's walking along, a lion comes out and attacks him. And like nothing, Samson rips the lion apart with his bare hands. And he just goes down um, to the Philistine town and, and meets with um, his wife-to-be and then, and then comes back. Uh, a while later, he went back down to now marry her. And on his way, he passed by the lion carcass that he had ripped apart with his bare hands. And now inside of that carcass, some bees had made some honey. And so he reached down, he scoops them out, and he, he ate the honey. And then he went to the wedding reception and he threw this seven-day feast, which was basically a, a seven-day drinking party. And, and maybe this all sounds very normal um, for, for the time, and it was. But remember, Samson was supposed to be set apart as a Nazarite. That meant that he couldn't touch anything that had died, he couldn't drink wine, and he couldn't cut his hair. Well, reaching into a lion's carcass and, and throwing a seven-day drinking party, he broke two of the three. So now at his wedding feast, he got uh, the 30 Philistine attendants um, who were to help him out. And he wanted to have fun with them, and so he made, he made a little bet with them. And he said, if you could figure out the answer to my riddle, I'm going to give you 30 linen garments um, and, and, and 30 sets of clothing. Uh, so basically, that, that'd be like saying uh, 30 pairs of underwear and 30 new suits. And, and, and if they couldn't get it right, then they had to give Samson that amount. And so Samson told them the riddle. He said, out of the eaters, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Do you know the answer to the riddle? Well, neither did they. And so they got after Samson's brand new wife, who he had just married. And they said, listen, you, you need to get the answer from Samson to his riddle, or we're going to burn your father's house down with him in it. In other words, they were saying, is, is your daddy's fire insurance paid up? Do you want us to make things hot for you? So she got to work. And, and for the next four days, she, she, the waterworks started. And, and she says, Samson, you don't even love me. You won't even confide in me the answer to your riddle. And, and so finally, on the last day of the feast, Samson gave in. He told his wife, and his wife wasted no time in telling the 30 attendants. And the 30 attendants came up to Samson and they said, we know the answer. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Well, what's sweeter than honey and what's stronger than a lion? They got it. And Samson was not happy. Now, this is the part you might be surprised at. You might be surprised at how Samson paid off his bet. He went down into a big Philistine city and he killed 30 guys and he took their clothes. Yeah, like I said, you might be surprised at that. 
You see, God doesn't always dip his saving axe in Clorox and sprinkle them with perfume. Sometimes delivering his people is a messy business. I mean, just look at the cross. There you see a far more gruesome deliverance by a far more righteous deliverer. You see, Samson was all about one person. He was, he was about himself. You know, you've been given incredible gifts too. Have you ever thought about this? How do you use those gifts? Are we all about serving others or am I all about one person myself? The account of Samson is not in the Bible um, for us to idolize his great strength. Instead, Samson is there to point us ahead to the far greater deliverer in Jesus who would be all about one person, not himself, but you. Jesus had far greater strength than Samson ever could. He's the one who gave it to Samson. He was true God. He is true God. And yet Jesus showed his greatest strength, but when he didn't use it. He showed his greatest strength through weakness. When he allowed his hands and his feet to be nailed to a cross and he allowed the the breath to be emptied from his lungs. Why? Well, because you and I, we needed a Savior who would die. And so Jesus did it. So let's not follow the example of Samson today in serving ourselves. Follow the example of your Savior Jesus. Let's serve others. We've been talking about Samson this week. Um, Samson was brash, he was arrogant, he was a womanizer. But hey, he could get away with it, he was strong. That is, until he met Delilah. If there was ever a couple that needed relationship counseling, it was Samson and Delilah, dysfunctional from the word go. So Samson falls in love with Delilah and they get together and immediately Delilah takes a bribe from five Philistine rulers to find out what the secret to Samson's great strength is. Now granted, the bribe was pretty hefty. It was 150 pounds of silver, about 15 years wages. Delilah could retire comfortably. So Delilah got to work and three times, Now, she pleaded with Samson to tell her the secret and three times Samson came up with lines about like fresh bowstrings or being bound with new ropes or the funniest one is where you put his hair in the loom and then he'll become weak and three times Delilah fell for it. So three times she sets these traps for uh, for Samson and, and she says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. In other words, gotcha. And three times Samson gets up And he just easily takes care of the situation. He makes a fool of Delilah and and, and the Philistines. But then then the waterworks start. And and the Bible, I love this line in this account, has a a line of understatement as, as it describes life in the Samson house. This is what it says. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. One can only imagine the scenes behind that little line. It is no wonder Samson cracked And he told her everything. In fact, that's what the next line says. And he told her everything. So Samson said razor and Delilah saw silver. (laughs) Not only did Samson's hair fall to the ground, but he also fell from grace. The Bible says that the Lord had left him and and that he didn't have his great strength and that the Philistines came in and they gouged out his eyes and they they bound, put shackles on on his wrists and they dragged him away to their pagan temple where they, they had a praise Dagon, Samson's caught festival service. And they brought Samson out to entertain them. And I know that when I was growing up reading this story, even though I knew how it ended, I always get to this point and I go, why Samson? 
Why? It's because he thought he was strong. It's because he thought he had everything under control. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. If only Samson were privy to the Apostle Paul's warning, if any of you thinks you're standing firm, be careful lest you fall. Pride came before the fall. Samson thought he was self-sufficient, but thinking that we're self-sufficient in life will lead to the death of faith. Have you ever acted like you've got everything under control? Acted like you're self-sufficient? I mean, God has gifted us incredibly. It's just that when God gives us gifts, he knows he's taking a risk. He knows that we'll, we, we are tempted to focus on the gift rather than the giver. He knows that we're tempted to put our trust in the gift rather than the one who gives the gift. Go to the Garden of Gethsemane and I want you to tell me what you see there. There you see Jesus, the only one who is truly self-sufficient. And what's he doing? He's praying to his Father, asking for help. Jesus, the only self-sufficient one, is pouring out his prayers to his Father on his face. And what is the Father's answer to Jesus' prayer? Well, the Father gives Jesus a cross so that he could give you to Jesus. And isn't that a wonderfully freeing thing? That we are not self-sufficient. Instead, everything we have, everything we need, comes from a God who loves us enough to send his own son for us. We've been talking about Samson. Uh, when Samson was born, he was set apart by God to deliver the Israelites from the Philistine enemy. He was gifted with this incredible supernatural strength. But last time we saw that he, he fell from grace by relying on his own strength and not God. And, and the Philistines captured him and, and they took him to their temple. You know, Samson is really a paradigm of us. Um, the one who is, who is born out of nothing, richly gifted, and who panders around with other loves, still apparently thinking that he's going to have Jesus, right? Could there be a greater fall uh, for you as you look at your life and me as I look at my life than the times when we feel self-sufficient in life? Um, look at how you're gifted. You and I, we've been baptized into the name of God. We've been washed clean in the blood of Jesus, all our sins forgiven. We've been given the status of kings and priests. We've been given promises of life for now and for eternity. We have been given grace upon grace upon grace and celebrity status in God's eyes. And yet, all those gifts can sometimes get us to rely on ourselves rather than God. What temptation that you've struggled with have you stopped fighting against? long ago because, because you think you can do what you want and still have Jesus? What risky behaviors are you engaging in that could sig signal a fall from grace? Remember Paul's words, if anyone thinks he's standing firm, be careful lest he fall. And I look at myself and I know I've fallen. And having fallen so far, can we ever look God in the face again? Can we ever trust him to forgive us? Well, there's only one thing to do, and for this one thing, let Samson be our teacher. So Samson is in the pagan temple, surrounded by thousands of his enemies. And he looks up to heaven and he says this, O sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, please strengthen me just once more. Samson finally put his trust in God's strength. And God listened. 
Samson threw himself entirely on the grace of God, the same grace that he had trifled with. And he put one arm on, on, on each pillar of the central pillars in that temple and he pushed with all his strength and the temple came down on him and all of his enemies. Samson died better than he lived. They brought him in to entertain them and he literally brought the house down. But I want you to notice the grace of God here. This is Samson who would rather play around with Delilah than protect God's gift. This is Samson who faithlessly bartered away God's strength in order to court a treacherous lover. It is this Samson, this faithless, foolish, fallen Samson that God hears. And so with us, what grace. Despite our self-sufficient attitude, despite thinking that we've got it all under control ourselves, despite the times when we, when we coddle sin and, 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 and trifle with it, when we cry out to God, he hears and he answers, period. Because of Jesus, when he gave his life for you on the cross, it means that every sin you've committed is forgiven and forgotten for good. God hears you and he forgives you for Jesus' sake. That's something to take comfort in today. Thank you.